It's ball talk. It's ball talk, baby. 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 Welcome back to Ball Talk, baby. Back here with my man Chaz Jurgens. You know who it is. Sounding crisp. We're out here. Uh, preseason basketball has started. It Finally. is. It, I can't believe it. The offseason was the only thing that in this pandemic has actually gone by quickly. <laughs> it is blowing my mind how quickly we are back to basketball. Um, wow. Just, just wow. Yeah. I mean, it's great to be able to see just some NBA basketball again, you know, even if it's preseason. Don't have as much time or don't usually make as much time for preseason as year, other years past. But now, you know what I'm saying? Nothing else to do but go out there and try to watch who's going to be getting the, the minutes in the end of the fourth quarter and the closed games. It's always good to see a little G League action before the NBA season starts. <laughs> I mean, that's really what this is. This is our G League season. This is our summer league. Because for these rookies, they don't, they don't have another opportunity. So I'm going to say this now. Any coach that isn't using this as time to burn in their rookies is making a mistake. Um, and to praise Frank Vogel, Frank Vogel's doing it right. To praise Dwayne Casey, Dwayne Casey's doing it right. If you watch that Detroit Pistons game, you have to watch Killian Hayes really play through it. He had seven turnovers. That's playing through it. That's how you do preseason right. Mm-hmm. And now, so a lot, everyone's watching preseason. Everyone saw LaMelo Ball get zero points. Everyone saw all of this, and they're freaking out, and then other people are not freaking out. There's a freak-out reaction and an unfreak-out reaction. People mm-hmm. saying preseason is important. People saying preseason is not important. All this, it's all, it's all too much. So I'm going to explain what I believe are the only ways to find value in preseason. And to look at things and see if there's no value in it in preseason. So I'm going to start with this. If a rotational NBA player, someone who is not fighting for a spot, plays really, really bad or really, really good, do not put stake in it. If they're a rookie, that's a little bit of a different story. They're going out there. They're doing their hardest because it's their first time playing at that level. But still don't take it to the head. The defense is suspect. Regular NBA guys are not going their hardest. NBA superstars are almost not playing at all. Mm-hmm. Coaches are playing with weird defensive and offensive looks. They're trying out stuff that works, and they're trying out stuff that doesn't work. The best guys aren't even allowed to do what they usually want to do. If you were watching that Hawks game, you saw Trey Young just do almost nothing, possession after possession after possession, because he has no reason to do it right now. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying if you're a rotational guy, you're supposed to be putting up those good numbers or you're supposed to be having these bad games where you're struggling, where they're trying to see if you fit in the offense like this, if they're trying to see if you fit in the offense like that. Even for starters, like, mm-hmm. like Bogdanovich, he had a horrible showing, an absolutely horrible showing that first game. But I don't think he's ever going to play like that again. And we're going to talk about that a little more. Now, it, it's not surprising that a guy fighting for a roster or a rotation spot is going to have a crazy game when the guys you and the guys you know that have their spots are being are being lazy. But this principle also will cover if a rotation looks really bad. It doesn't matter. If you see a team's trotting out four centers, like the Detroit Pistons can totally be doing with no issue at all, 
where Blake Griffin's playing shooting guard. Doesn't matter. It does now's the time to play. If you lose, it doesn't matter. All enough numbers aren't even being kept track of beyond the team level. No one's taking no one's taking any of this seriously. So the rotations should be bad. Mm-hmm. If a superstar stucks on offense or the offense isn't going through them, it doesn't matter. If you're watching that KD Kyrie game right now, we are filming right now at 7.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. KD and Kyrie are playing right now. I watched a bit. I mean, KD looks like he's half joking, half taking it seriously. Same for Kyrie. KD let Rui Hachimura absolutely embarrass him on a dunk. Absolutely embarrassed him. You want to know why? Because KD doesn't care. He's Kevin Durant. He's a top 10 NBA player. He's busy enjoying being back on the court. He's not worried about rebounding. He's not worried about defense. He's not worried about Rui Hachimura. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's important to remember when we watch preseason, especially everybody gets excited because now that basketball is finally back, you hope your teams are going to go out there and you want to see the best from your team every night, but that's not what the preseason is for. I think you're really better off seeing your team struggle and experiment with a bunch of different things because that way, hopefully going into the season, you know a little bit more about yourselves and know what your players can and can't do. And you don't want to show other teams all the looks that you're going to be running in the regular season. So you see all the star players deferring, playing a lot of pass first ball, doing a lot of just the little stuff on the side and letting role players and other people try to take the lead because that's what preseason's for, man. Like you were saying, it's just, they got to step by, step to the side, let everyone else see what they can do. And when the real season comes around, when the second half comes around, that's when they're going to start showing out because you don't want to be showing too much of what your offense is going to be running or your defense is going to be looking like too early. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 100%. 100%. It's like LeBron during the regular season. <laughs> now, when do preseason takes – when do does the preseason performance matter? Because it does. I can't, I can't – I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and be like, the preseason is a waste of time. That's – that's stupid. If it was, that they wouldn't play the games. But there is value in these games. Now, here's when it matters. When you're looking at the flow of an offense, that's when it matters. When you look at the movements, the cuts that the offense is making, when you look at the way the screens are being set, where the screens are being set, the way the offense is being ran is really important because the coaches are trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. So if they see that a certain backdoor cut is working really well for some of their players, that's a cut that's going to make it into a lot of their offense. You might even be watching the start of their offense. You might be watching some weird takes of their offense. Something else that's important is how comfortable the players are executing these offensive movements. You'll see the guys that are really, some people are going to look really uncomfortable. Some people are going to look really, really uncomfortable. DeAndre Hunter looked really, really uncomfortable. Cam Reddish did not look uncomfortable at all. But that's not to say that Cam Reddish is going to take DeAndre Hunter's starting spot if DeAndre Hunter started the first preseason game. But they're trying to get DeAndre Hunter used to it. Yeah. So if he's struggling, you have to notice it. You have to notice it. You have to put some stake in it. But you can't freak out on it. It is important to notice, though. Mm-hmm. Because they might decide to play him at a different position. They might be running a different type of sets for him. They might be, they're running sets for him because they believe in him. Mm-hmm. So what you can take from that is who they believe in. Another thing that you can really look at is the way that a player is able to move themselves on offense, the speed that they're playing at. We're talking about Taylor Horton Tucker, and he is my example of a player that really understood the speed that he needs to be playing at. The way the, he did the stuff 
that he needed to show he could do. He was tasked with trying to show that he was a ball handler, and he did it. And we're talk about that a lot more later, but that's when it matters. When they're tasked with a challenge, when a player gets a challenge in preseason, and they go out there, they execute, they surpass that challenge. And you can tell that they're a little uncomfortable, but they're taking this challenge and they're succeeding. That matters a lot. That's when preseason is the most important. For these young guys, when they get these challenges, they have to get out of their comfort zone and they go in and they show off. But I think a lot of it also, not only talk about the offensive end, but on the defensive side of the ball, just watching the team's communication and their, not necessarily the rotations, but just how they're interacting with one another on the defensive end and how they're reacting to certain reads and looks Mm -hmm. and how players are discussing after the fact and things like that. Because it's not something that necessarily starts in the regular season, you know, like working as a team, especially in the preseason, we're seeing a lot of switching between man and zone and different types of looks. So just watching the guys be able to adjust on the fly offensively and defensively and really make reads and communicate together about how they're going to make switches and be effective as a team. So to see that like from your lower tier guys in your team and if they can do that effectively, it points to good signs, hopefully, for that the guys upper on the list of players you're going to be playing in the regular season are going to be able to do the same thing or have to work against that all season long. So become better at that. 100%. I definitely didn't talk enough about the defense. Because there's also a lot of suspect stuff on defense. They're running a lot of weird defenses. Mm -hmm. So if you're a casual eye, you shouldn't be trying to pull anything out of the defense. If you are someone who understands how defenses look some more, then you can try to pull something out of a defense. If you're an NBA coach, you're pulling a lot more out of the defense. But I'm more giving the uh, – today we're giving you more of the the basic level, how to do it as an armchair analyst. Mm -hmm. Oh, and one more thing that you really should pay attention to, if someone who is fighting for a spot flat out sucks – it's sad to see it happens every year. I haven't seen who it is yet, but sometimes it just happens that someone is fighting for that starting spot and they flat out suck. That's never a good sign. Yeah. You don't want to see someone it's, it's okay to see people struggle and try to learn and develop new roles and new skills throughout the preseason. But if you got a guy who just can't put it together in any games and doesn't seem to fit into the offense or the defense, it's something that's, after a couple of games, it's a little too telling that this, this might not be the right piece here. 100%. And so with this explanation of what, what you can take from the preseason, I want to talk about the Atlanta Hawks. We talked about them so much over the offseason. We talked about them so, so much over the offseason. But this preseason, they also showed a lot. They gave a lot to talk about. A lot of these teams didn't give much to talk about. I watched the Orlando Magic give me absolutely nothing to talk about, which sucks because Cole Anthony's awesome. Dwayne Bacon had a great first game. But I didn't have anything to talk about from them. There was nothing yeah. that stood out for me about no, the Orlando Magic. But for the Atlanta Hawks, a lot stood out. You could see what their offense wants to look like. And it reminds me a lot of Harden Ball, but not in the same way. When Harden Ball... Or, or D'Antoni Ball, or Maury Ball, or whatever we want to call it, the James Harden, Houston Rockets basketball, the, the Rockets, whatever you want to call them, involves James Harden getting the ball, getting a ball screen, and everyone camping on the three-point line. The offense had James Harden holding the ball the entire game. Every possession involved James Harden holding the ball for more than anyone else. If you touched the ball, you were shooting it or you were making the one more pass to the guy who would actually shoot it. But no one, no one else dribbled that basketball. 
on the on the Houston Rockets. Essentially, Russell Westbrook would change that a bit, but not most. You still did, went back to Rockets ball most of the game or Harden ball. You see that a lot with the Atlanta Hawks or the start the startings of it. Though Trey Young wasn't taking over and holding the ball the entire time because it's the preseason, duh, why would they he do that? Everyone else on the team had very clear instructions. Anytime the ball went from the inside, from the paint, to the three-point line, they were supposed to shoot. It didn't matter who was guarding them. It didn't matter how open they were. It didn't matter where the nearest defenders were. It didn't matter what was going on. The ball went inside. It went outside. They shot. Clint Capella is not a big passer. Passing is not a good passing big like that. So what you can get from that is it's very obvious what the play is they're going to be running a lot of is Trey Young getting the, getting the ball screen at the top, running in, and then passing out whenever the defense collapses. That'll help, the, that'll help keep it keep – lob, lob, that'll keep passing lanes open for lobs to Capella. It'll keep passing lanes open to the other guys on the outside. And it'll keep space for Trey Young to hit floaters or pull-ups or whatever. But that was a very clear thing to me that the offense is going to be a lot of Trey Young holding the ball, a lot of that a lot of kickouts, but also there was an interesting wrinkle on the Harden ball of this team. Besides the fact that they feature Clint Capella, the original Harden ball center, um, which is a fun wrinkle also, but they had this wrinkle to their offense that there was so much backdoor cutting from every position, two to five. One, the one is obviously Trey, Trey Young holding the ball the entire time. Everyone was backdoor cutting. Everyone was backdoor cutting so hard. Cam Reddish was getting a bunch of open looks off of this. Clint Capella. The only times that Clint Capella touched the ball were above the rim or when he did that back cut and got open or when he got a rebound. And those backdoor cuts are going to be opening so much for that offense. It's going to be really interesting to see how they do it. Imagine when the season rolls around, Trey will hold the ball a lot more. But Bogey and the boys, which is my new name for all the wings on the Hawks, they still look like they'll have a chance to be playmakers a little bit. They still ran some offense when Trey Young was off. I imagine that they're not going to just have Trey Young sit and then they're going to run some weird stuff. I imagine that Bogdanovich will kind of take over, but that they'll still be running real plays. That the offense isn't going to be 100% stale, that they'll have plays still where Trey Young doesn't have the ball. And maybe they won't be using them that often, but it'll make sure that the offense doesn't get too stale, that they can't just sit a Chris Dunn type, uh, who is actually on the Hawks, <laughs> but a Chris Dunn type lockdown point guard defender on Trey Young, have him put Trey Young through fits, have him make Trey Young work his butt off on both ends, and then they wind up with Trey Young dead by the board. So I think that they've got that. They're kind of taking the next step on Harden ball, and I really hope that they actually follow through with this because I think that could be some of the most interesting offense to watch. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan of that, the, the idea of having Trey Young having the ball in his hands for the majority of the time, because I think he's really the best playmaker by far on that team, obviously, and Maybe he's going to be able to create so much out of that. And I just hope they continue to improve and not just like focus only on Harden or on Trey like they did in Houston, but try to work in a little bit more Golden State-style motion or fluidity to the offense, because I think they have – the guys on the wing and guys that they can play, you know, like I could see Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter at the three, four with Bogdanovich at the two when all of those guys, I, I'm confident putting the ball on the floor, moving the ball around the perimeter on some kind of motion screens and off the ball movement. So I'm excited to see what they can do to incorporate a little bit more 
hopefully fluidity to the offense because I don't really want to, um, them to be too stale and stagnant like you were talking about. But it is definitely the right way to run it, I think. If you're going to run that kind of ISO, one-player ball handling ball, I'm so an adamant supporter of it being the smallest guy on the floor because or else you're just isolating someone else to get eaten on defense. So mm-hmm. having Trey Young out there to be able to do that allows them to help him help cover for him on defense against certain teams and it should give them a competitive edge against a lot of teams because there's not many better playmakers of a high picker role than Trey Young right now. Mm-hmm. And obviously don't put too much stake in this. There could be a lot of changes really quickly if the Hawks are losing games. I've listened to some Lloyd Pierce interviews. He's the coach for the Atlanta Hawks and he's very adamant that Trey Young is more like James Harden than Steph Curry, which I think is, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know that it's wrong, but I don't know why he can't be a hybrid. I don't know why you have to put him in one of their camps. I don't know why he can't be the first Trey Young, why he needs to be one of the two when he is his own type of player that we, I don't think have ever seen anyone quite like before. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wants to play him more like Harden. So if this really isn't working, if they're losing games quick, losing games early, if they really need a new offensive outlook, this could turn into the 100% Harden ball or it could take another another shape. Who knows? Who knows what they're doing in the practices? I don't. I'm not spending my entire day focusing on the Atlanta Hawks. I have better stuff to do, you know. Um, but just to say, like I really like this. This offense will feature a lot of high pick and rolls of Trey Young, almost no matter what. But the the real question is if those those uh, backdoor cuts stay in, or if it just becomes a bunch of outside standing around or back back screens on the outside to keep people on the outside. I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch is my, my main takeaway from that. Yeah. No, I think they definitely had the athleticism to be able to run that on the wings. They have guys who are able to come off backdoor cuts and elevate mm-hmm. and go get balls in the air, go fight people yeah. for position. So even guys like Kevin Herter and Bogdan Bogdanovich, yeah. like they, they still, they're sneaky cutters because it's not just about being fast. You have to be able to really sell it. So having that shooting ability helps sell it. And you're, you're sitting there, you're going to get the shot right there, and you're going to put it up. So if you can fake that hard enough, your man gets caught lacking on defense, and you just cut hard, you don't need to be fast. You don't need to have that athleticism. It's about being a smart player, and the Hawks mm. clearly have some smart players. Also, Cam Reddish looked amazing on those backdoor cuts. If he keeps that up, he's going to be a starter. I'm a big Cam Reddish fan. Big, big Cam Reddish fan. Yeah, no, me too. Um, but you're an even bigger fan of this, uh, not surprisingly, this guy over oh, in LA. Yeah. A young Canadian, I believe, too. Is he? Is he? I, I think need to so. Google that. Taylor Horton Tucker. I've been Googling this man a hundred times. He is uh, from Chicago, Illinois. Never mind. He's a nope. Chicagoan. Shot Town, baby. Tried to claim him, but. I wish. I wish we could. I wish we could. Um, so, Taylor Horton Tucker, you know, I got to say something about him. Mm-hmm. Six foot four with a seven one wingspan. He weighs 235 pounds. He played point guard at Iowa State. He's 20 years old. Okay? This kid is a man. <laughs> that's that's a big 20-year-old. If you watch the Lakers first preseason game, he played like a man. He already shown that he can be a positive defender in spurts during the during the early rounds of last year's playoffs on both Harden and Damian Lillard but he showed a lot more during this preseason already. He's clearly getting better at throwing his weight around and exploiting mismatches. He showed crafty finishes and power moves through legitimate NBA players like Luke Kennard and Evitsa Zubats. He would go in, he'd throw the shoulder around, he had the good crossovers, and his handle was tight enough. 
despite his long arms, his handle is tight. He can run the real – he can run a one for real. When we talked about the Lakers a bunch during the offseason, one of my biggest questions that I kept bringing up is what they're going to do for a bench ball handler if LeBron or Schroeder is out. And Tucker showed flashes of the potential to be that guy. And if you're looking for a break for emergency, ball handler, third stringer, that's more than enough. That, that he's, he has shown the flashes, and if he can keep showing the flashes, that's more than enough to have that spot as the emergency third string backup point guard when they're missing one of their two main guys for like the five minutes where they don't have Caruso doing it too or whatever, or Kuzma bring up the ball. He still will need to show it during an NBA game, but you have to imagine that the main – sorry, I just got a, a call right there. But the main time that he'll be doing this, doing this point guard business, mm-hmm. will be when LeBron and Schroeder are resting against bottom feeder teams or teams with really weak defensive guard play. He's going to get a lot of opportunities to show this off, and I'm really, really hopeful. Also, another thing, LeBron came out and said, this guy has next. This guy is next. When's the last time LeBron said that or anything nice at all about one of his young teammates? Literally, I can only think of Kyrie Irving, who wasn't anywhere near this nice. He wasn't anywhere near this nice to Ingram, Lonzo, Hart, and he still isn't this nice to Kyle Kuzma. I mean, look, we got we said it before. Well, I'm going to have to remind you this because Taylor Horn Tucker has shown all this in one preseason game, and it's – as much as he did play a very minimal role in the playoffs last year, I think we're going to have to wait and see a little bit more from him in the NBA because Luke Kennard, as much as he is a legitimate NBA player, is also legitimately one of the worst on-ball defenders in the NBA. <laughs> and Vika Zubac is not one of the better big men in the league around the, around the paint defensively. So, Dalen Horton Tucker, I like the look of what he brings to the team. Obviously, he's very helpful for the Lakers, and I think he's following that kind of like LeBron mold of just big body trying to be able to affect the game and hold the ball with him. But I think we're going to have to wait and see. He definitely has the ambition, it seems, and the fight and the desire to be able to be a hardworking, good NBA player, potentially great, who knows. But for now, it's he's got to get on the NBA floor during the regular season game and prove it for a couple nights in a row before I can really jump on the Taylor Horton bandwagon because I like him. I, I liked him so much, I thought he was Canadian. So... Tells you how much I already wanted to support him, but he, I got to see him doing an NBA game first before I'm going to get a little too crazy on him. Um, yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, here's the thing, though. Vogels, my whole thing is Frank Vogels a really good coach. I imagine that Tucker will get his shot. I hope he shows out. But when, when Tucker is overmatched, he has plenty of other guys he'll be looking at that are supposed to step up. I'm just, I'm just happy for the future. I'm happy to see a guy who got drafted in the second round look like he might be a legitimate NBA player, at least for his defense. And another thing, another thing is he's very much in the same mold as Lou Dort of these smaller, thick guards with massive wingspans, which we should really just do a whole episode talking about positions Um, because this is the new point guard. This is the new point guard when you have a strong ball handler on the team already. When you have your shy Gilgis Alexander playing the two, when you have LeBron James playing the three, you bring in your big, heavy defensive guard. And it seems those two, they're, they're both borrowing from the Marcus Smart playbook. This is a mold that's starting to exist. I'm, I'm interested to see it. 
Um, you know, I also, think you're gonna. You're going to hate to hear it in a future episode where we talk about it, but we you got to give credits to Pat Beverly for that mold. But Pat Beverly is not the – ah, we're going to have to get into this. <laughs> but Pat Beverly is not that mold. Pat Beverly is too skinny for that mold. He, yeah. he represents an older defensive guard. Um, oh, also, we're still on the Lakers. Montrezl Harrell looked amazing, amazing in the uniform. And he looked fine as a small ball five. I'm excited to see what he has in store. All in all – very excited for these Lakers, man. Very excited. It's going to be a great season. It's going to be a great season. Can't wait to see these questions get answered. No, I can't wait for you to watch Montrezl Harrell of the playoffs and tell me, then we'll, we'll clip this and listen to it again. I, I, I'm praying for some Markeith Morris in the playoffs. <laughs> you can clip that in right afterwards. Also, the Lakers sat five players. I just, quickly, I don't have this written down. I'm going off, uh, off my brain right now. The Lakers sat five players. LeBron, AD, Markeith Morris, Mark Gasol, and, K- and Kadavius Caldwell-Pope. I don't think the Clippers sat anybody. Why? Why is Paul George and Kawhi Leonard playing at all? There's no fans. There's no fans. Kawhi Leonard can't play back-to-backs. You're like, yeah, let me get him some preseason run. Tyrone Lue, what are you doing? Like, give this guy a break. Give all these guys a break. They don't, they don't need that right now. Give Terrence Mann some reps. Give the other um, the other FSU kid you have some reps. Captain Geller. Thank you. Why are you giving? Why are you leaving Kawhi on? Why are you leaving Paul George on? Why am I seeing them in highlights of Montrezl Harrell dunking? Why am I seeing them in highlights of uh, Taylor Horton Tucker bullying people? I'm pretty sure Taylor Taylor crossed up Paul George at one point. I, I there's a video somewhere. It was great. But I'm going to move on. I'm going to get off my hype train because I could sit here and just freak out all day, all day about how happy I am to watch my Lakers play again. But I want to talk Detroit. And I want to talk a little bit of gambling. So I'm going to start right now. I have no idea how to gamble on the internet. (laughs) And uh, that is probably really good for me. But I have no idea how to gamble on the internet. But if I was a gambling man, I'd put 50 bucks right now on Killian Hayes, Rookie of the Year. <laughs> right now, 50 bucks. That is, that is, I wouldn't put any more because I'm not a gambling man. I am not, I, I am not comfortable with losing more than 50 bucks. But I'll put 50 bucks on, on Killian Hayes and $20 on Cole Anthony. Because the, the odds on, on LaMelo Ball are just not high enough to justify betting on him. And the Cole Anthony hype is because I love Cole Anthony. Big Cole Anthony guy, as everyone has figured out. But, I love Killian Hayes. I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. I don't think he's a rookie of the year type guy, personally. But I, I could, I could see in your notes that you have more to say about why Killian Hayes could be a potential, uh, oh yeah, sleeper candidate. So, so please. Oh yeah, his, his, I think he's got like the eighth highest odds at plus eight hundred. But here's why I'm saying Killian Hayes for a good year. The Detroit Pistons, like rather surprisingly for Dwayne Casey, who's not known for playing rookies. They were letting the Detroit Pistons were letting Killian Hayes do everything, anything he wanted. He got seven turnovers. He threw the ball around all willy nilly. He took it coast to coast. He did anything he wanted. He shot whatever he wanted. He did everything he wanted. And he's the only rookie who has been able to do everything he wanted on offense. Even Lamelo Ball, even Anthony Edwards. They have not been able to do everything that they want on offense. Anthony Edwards has a pretty green light, though, but not like, not like Killian Hayes. Now, Casey, he's not 
Casey isn't a, isn't the kind of coach that loves playing rookies. So this might just be a preseason thing to get Killian Hayes comfortable. So I'm not telling you go bet your house on it. You know, Dwayne Casey has always been the kind of coach that doesn't play his rookies. So there's a really fair chance that this is just a preseason thing. But there's also the very real chance that management went, called Dwayne Casey and said, hey, we're rebuilding. We brought in a bunch of good winning guys. Killian Hayes needs to play, and he needs to have the ball in his hands every single time we're going down the court. And I, I think that's the right call. I think that that's what management should be doing. You draft a guy eighth overall, seventh overall, eighth overall. You draft, you get a top draft pick, sixth, sixth overall. You take this guy really high in the draft. He gets to play. You've invested too much in him. He gets to play. He gets the ball in his hands. He gets to learn how to work. Also, I just want to point out, they don't look anywhere near as bad as I thought they did. Griffin, Blake Griffin looks amazing. Not, not superstar Blake Griffin, but he doesn't look injured. He doesn't look slow. He doesn't look – we were all – I mean, I was really worried that he was going to come back. He was going to look beat up. He wasn't going to be able to run. He wasn't going to be able to take hits. I was only able to watch spurts of the Detroit game because I'm watching as many games as I can at once. So I'm flipping, you know, as soon as it goes to commercials, I'm on to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one. Blake Griffin was using his body really smart. He was doing the little – there was a, a fast break that got started, and he did one of those things where you're a big man, you pass it to the guard, and then you just step in front of the defender and throw, and he hits you, and he's not ready for it, and it's not quite a screen, so the ref really can't call it. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're Blake Griffin, so the guy's about to bounce off of you because you're, like, a brick. <laughs> yeah. He did a bunch of those. He did a bunch of screening. He also had some crazy good, like, little dribble moves going on. He just looked – he looked good. It's great to see a guy – like it's great to see him come back. I was really worried he wouldn't be back as himself. And the young guys – all their young guys look pretty good. Their vets look good. I still think that they overpaid for Grant Plumley. The stretching idea was horrible. But you know what? It took me a while to figure it out, but it seems like everyone's on board with development, with developing the young guys and having a winning culture. So maybe this, maybe they didn't have that bad an off season. Maybe, maybe they're doing all right. I wouldn't say it's a good off season. Stretching, stretching a guy instantly means your off season's bad in my books. Stretching a guy for more than 1 million a year, instantly a bad off season in my books. But you know, not horrible. Yeah, I mean, we came out after the draft, and I had said I really liked where Detroit was headed, and then we came out after free agency, and it was Detroit flipped it on its head, and now they're headed in the wrong direction. So it's good to see them come out of preseason and actually look like the team we, we had hoped they were going to be a little bit more of. And it does just leave them with a lot of questions about what they're going to do about some of their older players. You know, like they brought in a guy like DeLon Wright, this year, who I can only imagine is going to take minutes away from Killian Hayes. So is the point guard already on the lineup. That is Derrick Rose. Both LA teams have been rumored to want Derrick Rose and both LA teams could use another backup guard or someone who could give them quality point guard minutes. So Derrick Rose is going to be a hot commodity this year. So is DeLon Wright, I think. And Blake Griffin too, I assume is going to have a really good season. He's going to have an an almost all-star, if not all-star type year. And He's going to be – he's on a major contract, so I don't really anticipate him being moved anywhere because it's a big commitment. Yeah. But 
maybe next year, or I'm not sure when his deal is over, but the last year of his deal, he could end up being a relatively good asset because it's one year of Blake Griffin to try to make a run at the playoffs, and that's it, you know? So, especially if like, you can get him on a contract extension, like, mm-hmm. I think, I think Blake Griffin's market will come at the trade deadline. When the trade deadline rolls around and you see teams looking around at what they have and they say, we need to make a run. If, like, if you're the Clippers, you could throw Luke Kennard, Patrick Beverly, Lou Will, Zubots, so, some mix of those guys. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. Mm-hmm. You could go get Blake Griffin. You could probably get Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose, which shores up two of your big needs. Yeah, it depends how much depth they'd have to sacrifice, and it would be interesting to see the Blake reunion. But no, I think That's Detroit true. I is going to about that. And even like we haven't even really talked about their signings. You know, like Jeremy Grant, where does he fit in in the starting lineup? Who are they really going to be running out there? Yeah. And then him and Plumley also. They were very good for Denver coming off the bench last year in the playoffs and throughout the regular season. They're also going to be relatively hot, hot on the market assets in the playoffs. You not Plumlee, let's the trade be honest. Hmm? Not Plumlee, let's be honest. It's just Grant. Yeah, I mean, Plumlee's not going to be as up there, but even I think he's only three years, 25. It's not the most money in the world for a backup big man who could provide you good defensive minutes and – I mean, that's you, $8 million a year for Mason Plumley. you know? He helped Jokic a lot, I think. I think Jokic would not be able to do the things that he does with Denver without him. It's going to be mm-hmm. – it's going to show a lot this year at the defensive – lack of a defensive center presence in in Denver. But we'll talk about that in another time. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not worried for Denver. I'm not worried for Denver at all. Um, but, yeah, speaking of all these, they really need to start flipping them. Mm-hmm. They have too many – you can have – I like the idea of bringing in some good culture guys. I love that. I think that's how you do a rebuild properly. I don't think you can rebuild like the Sixers where you just tear it down and build it back up. I mean, look at them. They're stuck in uh, – not mediocrity, but they're stuck in the first and second round. It's not easy to do that kind of tear down and build back. I think it's important to have – I think the only reason that it might work is because by the time Joel Embiid – and Ben Simmons were playing again, mm-hmm. they were done tanking. But by the time they had their first full seasons, those guys were trying to get wins. And, and, and they traded everyone else from along the way. They traded Rocco, Saric, all those guys. They got a whole new whole new army. The only guy that they had along was TJ McConnell, and they even got rid of him eventually. Yeah. The only process mainstays were those two. Everyone else had to get moved. And a lot of those guys have been productive NBA players. Rocco, Jeremy Grant, Dario Saric, um, I'm forgetting some more guys. TJ McConnell, they had JJ Redick. They had a bunch of guys. They mm. could have done something. They didn't, but whatever. I like the idea of having some good vets to keep everyone around, to help teach these guys how to play ball the right way. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's important for them. It just depends who they're going to use as those guys and who they're going to be able to flip for exactly. the best assets during the trade deadline. Exactly, because they, they like Jeremy Grant and Blake Griffin can both play power forward. Mm-hmm. D Rose and the long right can both be point guards. Mm-hmm. We can look through it. They drafted, uh, didn't they draft uh, Vernon Carey? They drafted some big Isaiah they, Stewart. Isaiah Stewart, thank you. They drafted Isaiah Stewart. You need to give him minutes. You can't have Mason Plumley taking his minutes. I'm pretty sure they have Sadiq Bay too. Oh yeah, he went off that first game. He had 14. Mm-hmm. Or went off relatively. I think he was the leading scorer for Detroit. Well, preseason though, so. 
preseason. Just saying, that's it's, it's a good sign for a rookie to be able to score that much. Definitely. Um, but speaking of rookies who scored a lot, Lamelo Ball was not one of them at all, <laughs> at all. Finishing with a stat line of his first game with zero, ten rebounds, four assists. But I'm not concerned at all about the scoring. I'm going to be honest. He took five shots. He clearly ha- still has the next vision, next level vision. He had crazy full court passes, crazy in, tr- crazy driving, crazy passes on the drive. He has a knack for rebounding. He's still six eight, so his like he'll, he's mm-hmm. going to still be able to play. What I'm yeah. saying is he'll be a positive asset, even if it's taking a while for him to get to his spots comfortably. Because he's going to be grabbing rebounds. He's going to be making the smart passes. So I'm not worried at all about him. But here's the bad, though. He isn't dominating the ball. It's, it's preseason. M- what, like, Mikhail Bridges is in his, what, fourth year? He's about to get an extension? LaMelo Ball, dominate the ball. Yeah. Hold at you. Sh- uh, he's not taking any horrible shots, and that's you know that's usually a good thing. But n- no, it's preseason. Take your shots. See if you can get into that three-point shot that you love pulling up from like half court that you were doing all the time in Illawarra. <laughs> just get to your spots and just shoot it. Let it fly. I mean, what is happening to the ball dominance? Like he's driving, which is good. Doing these crazy behind the head, over the back, whatever passes. That's good, but mm-hmm. what if you can actually hit those, dude? You're not shooting them. I hope that changes. That needs to change for me throughout the preseason. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, you look at the stat line, and I thought it was Lonzo Ball playing for the Hornets today. It was uh... If Lonzo Ball got 10 rebounds. <laughs> <laughs> Lonzo know, Ball got 10 rebounds. I don't know. <laughs> Something, I don't know. <laughs> I see. I saw Lavello. I didn't see much of the game. Obviously, I was – I worked this weekend. I didn't get to see much of the preseason so far. But uh, from what I saw from the highlights, he definitely does have that vision, and it's translated to the NBA, you know what I'm saying? Just being able to see the floor and see how guys are running. It looks like he's gotten a good flow with his teammates, his big men, especially on cutting and pick and rolls. He knows where guys are going to be on rotations. He knows where the open man is if someone's doubled. So it's always a good look that he's comfortable within the offense. And then That's I all guess- Jokic could do when he started in the league. That's all Jokic was. And now I'm not saying Lamelo Ball is going to turn into Jokic, but it at least means he'll he'll be able to get the run to add more to his game. So that's good for me. That makes me happy to see <laughs> that he's got the base, you know? Yeah. But I still want to see those crazy pull-up threes. Come on, man. Yeah, he needs to make himself a threat out there. He can't be letting mm-hmm. people just sag off of him forever because he hasn't hasn't necessarily proven that he's such a good spot-up shooter that you have to stand up in his face the whole time. So Yeah. But they, they are not giving him too much space from what I saw because that driving game looks legit. I don't mm-hmm. think they're too scared of him finishing. I think it's going to take a little bit before they start letting him go to the rim and just blocking the passing lane more so than the shooting lane. Mm-hmm. But we'll see where that goes. Yeah. But speaking of crazy pull-up threes, John Morant has been hitting some crazy pull-up threes. Wow. He had this one... The, to beat the buzzer at halftime against the Timberwolves, I think he finished that first half with 18 and six or something like that. He just went crazy, drove the entire, got the rebound, drove, drove, drove. Change of speed went from zero to 100 to zero like it was nothing. Slowed down like nothing, just got his feet underneath him, bam, pull up money, right on, right on it. 
And that change of speed was big. Because that's you're gonna he's still gonna get that shot in the regular season. They were guarding the Minnesota Timberwolves are a team that is trying to win in the preseason. You could tell by how hard they were playing. And they're gonna get. They still lost. They still lost. <laughs> they still lost. They tried so hard and they still lost. It's sad. Mm-hmm. But John Morant, that if if I'm not counting on anyone hitting shots like that, except for Damian Lillard and Steph Curry. And Trey Young, but John Morant, if he can add that even just as like a shot that's in the arsenal that he can pull out every now and then, that's going to be really big for him. And if and not just that crazy pull up three, he looked straight up dominant, and his shot looked way better. It was going in a lot more shooting, and now it's of course easier defense. He's playing the Timberwolves in the preseason. The shots are a little more open than they're going to be. The pressure is not quite there. But if that jump is real, I think that he's a tier two point guard in the league. I think he's an all-star this year. If Memphis looks like they're going to make the playoffs, I think he's an all-star this year. If he's shooting the three at a real clip, I think he's like going to be in that solid tier two point guard level already with guys like Kyrie Irving and Kyle Lowry. I think he's right there next to them. I don't even know if Kyrie Irving and Kyle Lowry are on the same level for me, but we'll we'll. I mean, yeah, that. same here. That, that, that was my top and bottom of tier two, if we're going to be honest. And, but, no, I 100% agree. I mean, John Moran's been one of those guys that I've been riding with ever since his second year at Murray State when he really came on the scene. And just his story about how hard he works and about how much he wants to win and loves the game, you can see that the work he's putting in is really making a difference, and he's just about getting better at his game and doing everything he needs to be to be more effective on the floor. So I think we saw all his athleticism. He's going to keep working on it. He's going to stay mobile, stay healthy, hopefully, and be able to continue to be a bouncy and dominant guy driving to the rim. And if you can add a jumper like this, especially something that he can use off the dribble with his quick handle already, it's going to be something that teams aren't going to be able to defend because it's all of a sudden, if you sag off under this picks or if you, give him a little bit too much space because you're afraid of the drive, then you'll splash it in your face. If you come up a little too close, then he could beat you off a first step, off any move, because he has the handle like that and the foot speed to get around you. And if you stay next to him, unless you're ready to jump 42, 44 inches in the air to go get the ball, <laughs> you're not getting it. So he's going to become a real different monster for them, especially when they have bigs like Valachunas and Triple J that can space the floor and keep the paint clear. So there shouldn't really be people jumping there with him except guys at his position. Oh, there's yeah. no one in the league that can jump a shot at his position. He had some crazy dunk where he just open paint, gets by his man. Woo! It's crazy. It was gorgeous. I don't know. Those Memphis guys are some dogs. I'm penciling them into the playoffs right now, by the way. I mean, maybe the seven seed. We'll have to, have to win some playing games. Week, yeah. But uh, I'm penciling them in for the playoffs. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, speaking of playoff teams, uh, my transitions have been off today. I'm sorry about that. Speaking of playoff teams, the Rockets playoff team? No, I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. Fully joking. Mm. If James Harden doesn't get traded for any value or come back to playing, not a chance. Mm-hmm. But if you don't love watching Boogie and John Wall play together, you're crazy. Yeah, that was beautiful. Watching them get a watching Boogie get assists off of John Wall, beautiful. With that said. Boogie does not look good. He's not moving very quick at all. His, this might be his last stop in the league. It's, his shot looks fine, but he never was quick enough to defend on the perimeter, and he's never been big enough to really defend down low like that. 
to lose that little bit more quickness, it really might take away his last stop as a defensive, as having a positive defend defense. Being even slower, I'm, I'm worried. I'm really worried for his game that it's not going to be able to adjust to being any slower. And I don't know that there's a place for that kind of slow big in the NBA like that anymore. And here's the thing with Boogie is that I think a lot of it we had said earlier about the preseason not being too important. I think he's definitely moving slower. And I don't know if that's 100% just him now or that's just what he's doing in this first preseason, the first few warm-up games, because it's been a long time since DeMarcus Cousins even been able to get on an NBA floor and get through a full 48 minutes without getting hurt. So I think for him it's going to be a lot more just trying to get reps in and slowly getting back to speed, and hopefully he'll be able to get to that speed and size that he was working with before and I still think he's capable of making a lot of quick effective post moves even though he lost a lot of the weight and he'll still be able to be outside and shoot the shot a little bit and work the pick and roll especially with James John Wall and perhaps James Harden later who knows he'll be able to be a good pick and pop and create for them because back way back when when him and Anthony Davis were together either one of them could bring the ball up the floor and create the through the offense so It'll be exciting to see what kind of offense they're able to run if Boogie's able to get back to that kind of just not obviously as dominant as he was back then, but just able to move a little bit better than he looked in that first preseason game. Because I just think he's he's taking a little cautious, I hope. I yeah. think he's just being a little safe. And Hopefully. that's what I want to see from him, you know? Yeah. But but on a much better note, let's let's get a little positive. I, I hated how negative we were last episode. I'm trying to bring some positivity this time. <laughs> on a more positive note, John Wall looks as explosive as he ever had. Maybe I just forgot how explosive he used to be, but oh, man, (laughs) dude, he can move. That guy can move. Gets through the defense, just explodes past him. No one was able to stay in front of him at all. Now, will that transfer to the regular season? We'll see. But that speed, at least in the open court, is going to be unstoppable. And having a big, like, Christian Wood on the team, who's a much faster kind of five, you'll see a lot more running. You could see a lot of running with this team still going on with John Wall. With John Wall going down the court full speed, I'm excited to see some of those 360 layups he brings out. I'm excited. I'm hoping that he's still an elite point guard after this. I'm hoping that that he can turn, leverage this speed into a good driving game and off, and he'll still have that full court, the fast break stuff, and maybe some good defense. That's all he needs. And then he's still an elite point guard, and that'd make me happy to see a guy come back from everything that he's been through and still be elite. That'd be big for me. That would yeah, no, me. I mean, he, you know, I was talking it up before. I was even said I like the Houston Rockets side of the trade because I believe in John Wall's comeback and his ability to come back and be an impactful player. So for me to see this, I just – I got to take it a little bit slower because I'm watching it. It's like this is the Chicago Bulls. They're – they lost Chris Dunn. They don't have a single defender on the roster anymore. So <laughs> you can't take too much stock in what he did to the preseason Chicago Bulls. But it definitely does look like John Wall has got a lot of his speed back. His legs look good. His ball handling looks good. Everything's tight. He's moving well. He's not throwing his body around as much as he used to, which I kind of like. He seems like he's trying to keep himself a little more centered, a lot more stable with his movements. And I think that's going to be important for him to start the season. Just, just like Boogie, I want him – I want both of them to kind of just ease into it a little bit more, especially if they're going to be trading James Harden. There's no need for either of them to be going out there 100% in the first two weeks of the season and trying to do too much. You know, I want to see John Wall be able to run the offense. And when he 
he's a little bit tired, you give it to somebody else. Like Christian Wood, go get a bucket. Let the uh, Eric Gordon, I don't know, somebody else who's on the floor who wants the ball in their hand can go get one. But I don't think John Wall should force it too much and just carve a roll out so by the second half of the season he can be ready to go in case the Rockets are trying to make some noise or or flip him. Or just get let him get it going and get back to the kind of point guard he was. Because John Wall, the last time I saw him, was a top five point guard in the NBA, in my opinion. He was one of those guys that any any night you had to play John Wall was not a night that you wanted to be there because it was going to be a tough night for you on both ends of the floor. So if he can bring that kind of grit and that kind of hustle to Houston, it'll help them a lot, I think, with just that leadership from a, a point guard that, that James Harden hasn't necessarily been providing. Yeah. I mean, Harden, uh, I, I'm done talking about Harden. I'm, I'm done talking about Harden until something new happens. He's going, he's getting a billion COVID tests. He'll be back soon. But ESPN released their top 10. Harden is number nine, which I think is a travesty. I, I, I'm a hard, I am an on-record Harden hater, and I think nine is, tr- is way too low. But ESPN released their top 10s, and so I'm going to read it out to you, and I want to hear your reactions first, and then – Let's talk about where they messed up. All right. 10 to 1. Number 10, Nikola Jokic. Mm -hmm. Number 9, James Harden. Number 8, Steph Curry. Wardell. Number 7, Damian Lillard. Number 6, Kevin Durant. Number 5, Kawhi Leonard. Number 4, Luka Doncic. Number 2, Number three, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Can't count my own fingers. Number two, Anthony Davis. And number one, LeBron James. First off, Lakers Nation, baby, top two. I mean, look, I guess Bronny James got hired to write for ESPN because I don't know who made his top ten. I think Bronny James could do a better job than this. I think I, – I I mean, let's be honest really quickly. They put this out specifically to get people talking about it. But because they're ESPN, you have to talk about it. They could put out a real top ten and we have to talk about it. But they like to have some of their crazy takes. But I want to talk about one of their low-key craziest takes in my book, which is Nikola Jokic at number ten. How? (laughs) Excuse me. How is Nikola Jokic number ten and Damian Lillard number seven? When Nikola Jokic has done just as much in the playoffs – as Damian Lillard. They both I mean, have Damian made the conference finals once. They both have made the semifinals once. Actually, I think I think Nuggets, I think they might have done more. Like he's younger and he's better. He is straight up dominant. He did better last season. He did yeah. Yeah, he's better. He's Look, I, better. I think you obviously love your big man, especially a guy who likes to shoot the ball, handle the ball. So I got to give it to you. And I do think Nikola Jokic is, is way too low at 10. Mm-hmm. Now, where he is versus Damian Lillard, I think that's a very difficult discussion just because the, they play so mm-hmm. diametrically opposing roles on the floor almost, or other than being ball dominant or not even offensive dominant players. There's not much else about them that I could say is similar, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I can understand Damian Lillard being above, I guess. It's more to me about, I guess, how long they've been doing what they're doing in the league. I don't know what this is racking. I guess it's going into the season. Who's the best player and who's the best player right now? 
I just don't I, see how Damian Lillard gets that nod over a guy like Jimmy Butler. There's like a bunch of weird ones. There's so many weird ones on this, like looking at it. It's just too weird for me. See, and I think Damian Lillard's someone who's, who gets, doesn't get a lot of as much respect as he deserves, but it, he is more that I don't know if him or Steph Curry is on this list right now just because they, they didn't do that. Like Steph didn't play last year, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So as much as I want to put him in the top 10, it's hard having seen everybody else play. And then Dame is a ball-dominant point guard. He's a great scorer. He's a great leader of your team, but he doesn't – necessarily bring enough to the point where if you're going to be top 10 in the NBA nowadays, you got to be a dominant player on your team in multiple different facets of the game, I think, because you're looking at so many guys in the NBA now that can do so many things at an elite level. And LeBron is obviously the mold for that, where he's able to just do everything on the floor and be the best on his team at it at once. So you look at other guys on this list, like Giannis can, will lead his team in scoring, lead his team in rebounding and usually blocks and maybe steals and sometimes assists in the same night, you know? Luca will often do the same on all three offensive stats. AD will do everything on the defensive end. And then you get down to a guy like Jokic, who, again, will do everything for his team. So he definitely deserves to be a little bit higher up on this list. And then James Harden, like those two could both leapfrog KD, Lillard, and Curry, just because KD was out last year. I still Mm -hmm. believe he's a top three player in the NBA when healthy. But But we need to see if he's healthy. Yeah, we just got to wait and see. And it is honestly almost a travesty that Jimmy Butler isn't on this list. It's awesome. I look at the names and it's really hard for me to decide who's Jimmy Butler is better than. But oh, I could see me. him edging out like Damian Lillard for a 10th and over an 11th. Or I could see him edging out, uh, I don't even know, maybe Steph, maybe Kawhi because Kawhi's collapsed last year. But no, I think having Luka at three or at four, excuse me, is also – Maybe a little bit too high for him just because it's only his second season in the NBA. So we're going to have to wait and see what he can do versus a guy like Jokic, KD, Kawhi, Harden, even Dame. You know, like Luka brings a lot to your team, but there's also a lot that still needs to he needs to be able to bring. And they did only finish as a seventh seed. So there's something to be said for his able his ability to win games down the stretch. And mm-hmm. But I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about this top 10 amongst like <laughs> – Obviously, LeBron and AD wanted to. You're happy about it, but... I'm, I'm happy about it, but this isn't how you rank basketball players to me. Like, because you can't, you can't just tell me that AD is worth more than, like, Damian Lillard when they bring such differences to the court. I mean, I will tell you that AD is better than Damian Lillard. You can't tell me AD is better than Kawhi Leonard or, or Luka because they bring such different things to the game. Mm-hmm. So, in my opinion, when you're looking at the NBA, at NBA rankings... You need to do it in tiers. It needs to be a tier list. And so for me, tier one, easy. Goats. Guys who can get you to the finals every year. That's one name and one name only. LeBron James. Someone you can just count on every year. You say, get me to the finals. And more often than not, they will get you to the finals. That is LeBron. Now, my second tier is guys that you can say the same thing about. Take me to the Western Conference Finals. And you are confident. You are confident that they will get you to the Western Conference Finals. Not 100% confident, but you're pretty confident. You're, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, I've got a good team around them. I bet we can make the conference finals. I bet we can make the finals. I've got a good team. Or if I've got a good team around these guys. Because other than LeBron James, everyone in the league needs a good team. You can't sit there and say, what if they had this bad team? If it's not LeBron, they're not doing anything with a bad team. So my tier two would be guys like Curry, KD, 
and you're going to think I'm crazy, but Nikola Jokic, I think that he showed this year and last year, with last year with the, the quadruple overtime this past year, with actually going to the Western Conference Finals, that he is one of those guys who you give him a good team that's ready to step up, he will take them to the Western Conference Finals. If anyone else had stepped up two years ago, if Jamal Murray had to step up two years ago, they would have been in the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. I might have my years wrong. Am I? Do I have my, my No, I don't. I have my years right, right? Awesome. Yeah. So that's my tier two. Those are the guys that I can look at. I say, give me the Conference Finals, and they'll do it. Now, my tier three is guys that I'm like, get me the conference finals. And, I mean, I'm not going to go start, like, counting my chickens. How about that? Got a good team around. I'm not ready to start counting my chickens on these two. But I'm feeling confident that there's a very good possibility we get to that. And that's Harden and Butler. Just those two. James Harden. um, James Harden basically beats everyone in the playoffs except for the Golden State Warriors until this past year. Mm Mm-hmm. But for years on end, that man was going wherever until he hit the Warriors, whether that was the first round, whether that was the Western Conference Finals. He was always going until the Warriors. So you got to give some respect to that because that's just an ultimate dynasty. So mm-hmm. I'm putting him in that tier. And Jimmy Butler shown some serious, really shut up the haters this year, taking his team to the finals. I've been saying it for years. Building around Jimmy Butler is a good call. And look what finally happened. They give the, the keys to Jimmy Butler, and he goes to the finals. They gave the keys. They they pretended to give Jimmy Butler the keys in Philly, and they almost made the West the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. When he was when he they gave him the keys in Minnesota, they were a top three team in the in the West. And those Bulls teams were never a slouch, but they were really bad. It was with some bad Bulls teams. His best teammate was Rajon Rondo. <laughs> Those are some bad when, – when Butler finally had his coming out party, when he went from being that defensive guard to being I am Jimmy Butler, just putting that out there. They were a good team when he was just running around playing hard defense with Derrick Rose and Joe Team Noah. But that wasn't forever. So ever since Butler had his coming out, he's always been someone who's delivered. So he makes it that tier three for me. And now my tier four, this is where you're going to freak out. Giannis, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, and Luka Doncic. But Luka Doncic needs to prove himself a little bit more. But for now, he's tier four. These are guys that you imagine will get you to the second round, maybe only the first round, maybe the, maybe the conference finals, maybe the finals if you give them a good team. But you're not confident that they'll take you to the conference finals. You don't have a con- – you tell them, get me to the conference finals. You don't feel confident. You're not sitting there like, yeah, okay, we're going to the conference finals. You're sitting there and you're like, I really hope we get to the conference finals this year. And that's – I mean, Giannis, case in point, he's mm-hmm. – that's amazing. Struggles. Finals. <laughs> he may, he's, been, he's been once. He's been once, and he got embarrassed, straight up embarrassed. Yeah. AD had the same issue that Harden had, but he couldn't even drag that team to the playoffs. But they were really bad. That was mm-hmm. Those were some bad teams. Yeah, the Pelicans. Were another bad. time, his best – another guy whose best teammate was Ray John Rondo. <laughs> um, Kawhi Leonard. I'm, you know me. You know I'm not big on the Kawhi Leonard hype train. His first, he has two rings. He has two championships. He has three finals appearances. The first two came with the Spurs. The championship came on probably the best Spurs team ever assembled. Some would call it the best basketball team ever assembled in terms of playing like the most beautiful basketball ever, the most winningest basketball ever. I think that's a little much, but they are one of the best teams of all time. They played some of the most beautiful basketball all the time, and Kawhi Leonard won a championship with them, but it wasn't because of him. He won finals MVP because he held LeBron to like 35 points a game. 
That was Tim Duncan's finals MVP in my eyes. There wasn't the Kawhi. The Raptors, he walked into a team that was perfectly built with a hole at small forward looking for someone to walk in and dominate in that small forward position. He walked up. He said, hi, I'm here. Where do I put my stuff? He put his stuff. He took his cap after he left. He got his championship and he left. And he showed up. And I'm not, I'm not putting a guy in the top five who in an elimination, game seven, after being up 3-1, goes into the fourth quarter and scores zero points. You don't make my top five if that happens. Because that's not a situation you should be in. You're down 3-1. You should win. You should win 4-1, 4-2. If you really need to win 4-3, that's fine. Winning is winning. But I don't know how you go into game seven, you let it get back to 3-3, and you go into the fourth quarter, and you give a donut. Can you imagine any other all-time great doing that? I can't. Could you imagine James Harden? Could you imagine anyone I've named above this doing that other than James Harden? So I maybe, mean, maybe I have to – Jimmy Butler's shown his inability to score at times. Who? Jimmy Butler's shown an inability to score at times. He likes to pass the ball. But he impacts the game, and he wins. Could you see Jimmy Butler losing a game seven and not be crying, dead, needing to get carried off the court because he's so wrecked from putting his body on the line? Kawhi Leonard let, let anyone, anyone get theirs that game. It was ridiculous to watch. He watched, you watched Jamichael Green, Montrez Harrell, and, um, oh, come on, I'm forgetting one guy, go out there and dominate. It, it, was, it was ridiculous to watch. I mean, look, I think with Kawhi, a lot of this is it comes off of this last season with the Clippers and all they mm-hmm. talked about and what happened with them. But I think he deserve, definitely deserves to be at least tier three, if not tier two. And then I would even have – like I, can, I would have Kawhi at tier, tier two and Jokic at tier three just because of what they've done throughout their careers. Because you got to think about Kawhi – not just someone who came in for the Spurs and was a helpful piece, but he was what put them over the top to beat LeBron. He's the only not the first time. Not the first time, because the first time was a whole other issue for them. But mm-hmm. when he came in, LeBron had a lot more trouble dealing with him, and he helped them put, go over the top. And he definitely did contribute in the playoffs offensively. And then when he came into the Raptors, the Raptors had no chance without Kawhi, and he came in and was. Yes, gifted a championship because they wouldn't have won that if even Klay Thompson was in there, I think. And Klay Thompson mm-hmm. and KD out was the reason the Raptors got that. But he came in and he proved himself. He brought them all the way there. And he was on his way to beating the 73-win Warriors when he got hurt in that first season. So I think the way that I would still have Kawhi above a guy like Giannis or AD or Luka, who none of them have really been able to do anything AD outside of with LeBron whereas Kawhi has been able to, to do something with his NBA career and prove himself on the highest level. He's got two final MVPs, Jimmy Butler and James Harden have a combined zero and one finals appearance, you know? So That's I think fair. Kawhi definitely deserves to be fair, higher up on this list. And Damian Lillard deserves to be in tier four. If we're going to have AD and Giannis and Luka here, then Damian Lillard deserves to be here too because let's, uh, let's not forget that he did send OKC home and he is one of the top five, top three point guards in the league right now. So that's actually that's actually very fair. The notes right there. I literally did. I literally went. I said, you know what? I might go back to this one day. I need to make sure. I, that's. I am fully with you. I, I I should not have left Damian Lillard off that. 
But I will maintain that Butler's better than him. But mm-hmm. yeah, Damian Lillard definitely deserves that f- that fourth spot just for be for nothing else for having the most series winning shots in NBA history. It's only two, but that's still one more than anyone else, and two more than every player except for like six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's been eight series winning shots, and he has two of them. That's twenty five percent of series winning shots. He is he is a baller. He is a winner. I I wish. I wish the media wasn't so nice to Portland. How about that? <laughs> I wish the media wasn't so – and kept telling them, they had such a good offseason. They drafted such good players. They're so good. They really could do it this year. They can't. They can't. They can't do it. Yeah, they don't CJ's have the yes. pieces. They don't have a team built around Damian Lillard. I love CJ McCollum. I hear he's a great guy. I think he's so fun to watch play basketball. Damian Lillard doesn't play defense. Why do you have another guy who doesn't play defense next to him? What? What? Yeah, yeah Portland's uh, – it's the, the window is closing on Damian Lillard's career to be that dominant guy to lead them to a finals run. So, I as much want, as I love the Damian CJ backcourt, something, something's got to give over there. Something's got to give, and it's got to be soon. It's, it's not going to – we've yeah. seen this tale a hundred times but they insist on continuing to run it back. And I don't get why it doesn't make sense to me, but I would love, I would love, I would love for them to prove me wrong. But I, I, I really don't think it's going to happen. It's not, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't see that team. I don't see that team being the Clippers. Yeah, I don't they, see that team beating, making it out of the second round without some luck. In, in I could see Luca taking them out. Luca, yeah. Luca's a killer. I could see Luca taking them out, but I could see Luca taking anyone out. That dude's a killer. In the modern NBA, you can't run out two guys like under six three who both can't play any type of on ball defense. It's not going to work for you. There's no way you can close out a playoff game with that kind of lineup. It's going to be like at least when you're running Luca out there, who's not a strong defender. He's still like six eight or six nine. Yeah. And this massive body with long arms. If, he'll get you some rebounds. He'll get you rebounds. He's still closing. If he closes out mm-hmm. six inches farther away than Damian Lillard closes out, it's the same closeout. They're covering the same angle of yeah. shot. The sh- they're still watching the same, you know. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's more because his, you see his hand more. His hand is bigger. His hand is in the way of your eyes seeing the rim. Yeah. Just by his size, he is a better defender than Damian Lillard. And he tries. He's not good, but he tries on defense. Mm-hmm. Game tries, but he tries. You know? CJ McCollum like tries. <laughs> CJ McCollum can't guard shooting guards because shooting guards are all six six. Name me three shooting guards that aren't six six right now. Like Paul George is like six eight and plays shooting guard. Like Clay Thompson's like six seven apparently. Even Kyle Gorber is like six seven. Like, yeah. Hey, does, does Dwayne Wade count? <laughs> Dwayne, Wade, Dwayne Wade's retired, and he has a six ten wingspan, six eleven wingspan. He does not count. Yeah, that's the number one leader in uh, blocks by a player under six six. <laughs> yeah, number one blocks by a guard. Blocks by a guard. Yeah, I think. Yeah, he wound up beating Mike by the end of the career. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know. I, but I do agree. LeBron's still in the one. Hmm? LeBron's still the greatest, still the best right now in the NBA. And 
I, I think KD, you know, say KD and Kyrie did look nice in that first half today against Washington. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to bring it up too quickly because I know you want to get out of here, but I just want to say, is, is the KD Westbrook beef still on? Now oh, no, no, I want to talk about this. Let's talk about that some more. I'm there. Okay, okay, okay. I, I'm watching it against Brooklyn. Not, not too much, but, like, Westbrook didn't play. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Westbrook shouldn't be playing, but, like. No, no. Last thing I, I need that game on television. Here. I need that first matchup on TV. I need yeah. that broadcasted. I need that on prime time. Yeah, I need yeah. to see the KD Westbrook matchup in Washington and Brooklyn. KD's just gonna be like they're like, wait, I thought I was supposed to go to Washington. What happened? And we'll we'll probably be getting the, the playoff predictions out for, for next Monday's show on the we'll record it next Sunday night after the preseason. And yeah. I got a, already got a sneaky pick I'll get to you. It's Brooklyn at two and Washington at seven in the first round for some. Oh, Washington that's KD. gonna be gorgeous. That's that's I had the same pick with Washington at seven. I didn't have Brooklyn that high, but I that's gonna be a fun series. All right. That's gonna be a fun series. All right, I think that closes it up. I think that's ball time, baby. It's been a great time having you on, Chaz, as always. As always. Um, Check out the Instagram. Check out the YouTube. YouTube is live, by the way. YouTube is officially live. See videos of us on our our Instagram as we try and up our production quality slowly but surely. The video is coming out now. Shout out to Ethan Levy. Out there, uh, getting that out for us, breaking down the, breaking down the film, <laughs> running to our film sessions for the Instagram, studying the tapes. <laughs> awesome. Take All it right. easy, everyone, and sleep Love well. Have a good or have a good morning. I don't know when you're listening to this. Yeah, it is 8:50 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and there's no breaking news when we're closing this. Good night, everyone. It's ball talk. It's ball talk, baby. 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 Baby, 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 baby.